if there's a gap, you can just you can just it let up, it make ride, it sound like some it, kind of professional yeah, operation. I can, it, yeah, I can make it actually look legit. And welcome back to another episode of the Refactored Podcast, where it's our goal here to suck just a little bit less every day. My name is Chris Tonkinson. And my name is Frank Cole. And this is episode number 85 for October 25th, 2022. My boss asked me, yesterday was Monday, my boss asked me, um, you know, we were in a meeting. He said, you know, what uh, would you guys do over the weekend? And I said, well, I spent two days not being asked dumb icebreaker questions. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know I'm still fighting rails or I'm, I'm actually i beg your pardon i th- i think i'm done fighting with rails and when i say fighting with rails what i mean is specifically done remediating myself on how it is that you're supposed to be a software developer <laughs> mm-hmm. so okay. I'm, i've been keeping a log just at, at, as an intellectual curiosity because i've not really done anything with rails for like three, four years. And and even that, it was a little light for a little bit at the end and certainly no like new projects. So I was working within an existing system, which means it was a lot of maintenance and bug fixes and stuff like that. And so like the, 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 you know, everything's there for you already. You know, you just find the bug, you fix the bug. It's probably with your logic and then you move on. Um, not a lot of the window dressing stuff, but when you rails new, like there's, it's all window dressing. Like I have so much yak hair on my, on my office floor right now. Mm-hmm. And so I've, I've kept track of this. Um, so what I've got so far, and I think we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Um, I ate about two hours because I accidentally had some shims in my, you know, slash home slash Chris slash bin directory, mm-hmm. uh, getting like our and stuff just to work. Um, I, I ate about two hours. Um, on fixtures because of rails automagic naming conventions so in Mm. some cases what you have to give as an argument is a symbol with a snake case name Mm. you know user underscore accounts and in some cases you have to give an object name or a string name or like and is it is it camel case or or snake case those are the really two two the, the two things that break down um and I had that wrong in a couple of places. And there were things where uh, I didn't let Rails write the migrations all of the way. And so I, I got, I just got mixed up on that stuff. And so it was like the the migrations and the models and then the fixtures and the association names within the fixtures, just like untangling all of this when it expects snake and when it accepts, accepts camel uh, got, got me. And that lost about two hours of that. Right. Um, then I then I spent I I tracked about two hours probably less than this but I tracked about two hours just catching up on Rails seven because I haven't really used it since four so there's like action mailer and active job and an action cable and all of these other action active things you know there's a bunch of different which is really cool by the way um, but it's just catching myself up on all of that um, I did have and I think I think the last two. Well, the last, this, this one's kind of, to me, the most interesting. I had a, a relationship between two objects and logically it was a has one and belongs to kind of a relationship. Okay. The problem was, and I, I didn't remember this. The problem was the foreign key went the other direction. And yeah. so I had mm-hmm. to name them unintuitively to get the foreign key in the right table. Um, so I, I ate about an hour on that one, just trying to figure out like, wait a minute, why is this, this is, this should be here. You know, old man yells at cloud. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. 
So that one, that one tripped me up. It was not, not even an hour, it was maybe 30 minutes. Um, and then finally I, I spent about two hours because by default, um, by default rails, uh, they deploy like mini test or something. And so I had to, I had to move what I had done into R spec. Um, and then because there's a lot of networking and IO, I, I use the VCR gem to, mm -hmm. to speed up the tests. And so getting all of that with database cleaner and factory bot and all of these, you know, mm -hmm. all of these, this testing meta stuff, I ate a couple hours there. So all in, I'm, I'm like a solid nine to five work day in, and I've got like three methods written in mm -hmm. one class of business logic. Yeah, but the um, beautiful thing about Rails is you've got three methods in, and yet you're probably 60 to 70% of the way through the entire application just because of how much how much glue and, and functionality Rails provides out of the box. Well, I mean, that's simply, it. Simply building your relationships, you've got like half of what you need at least. That's the thing. Like I, I, I kept track just as an academic exercise because it had been a while, and so I wanted to know like how long it would take me to jump back in. Um, and so that's a that's a day. That's like eight hours ish. And you know, as terms of like uh, proof of concept, critical path, MVC, whatever you want to call uh, MVP, whatever you want to call it, like the the kernel of the business logic, I've got half of it done already. Right, and I I quote mm -hmm. wasted seven and a half of those eight hours just figuring out how to get the framework to do what I wanted it to do. Mm -hmm. And now I'm back to business logic and what I have works and it's got automated test suites and I know that it works and it's, you know, um, and so all that's just been, it's been really interesting for me. And I kind of made, um, and it might've just been some distance, but I, I kind of made headway. And I don't know, I know you've got, um, uh, I know you've got a, a, a rails new uh, that you've been uh, futzing with lately. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of made at, uh, a realization back in the day, uh, it almost like if you, if you don't pay attention, if you don't pay attention to patterns and, and how you're constructing your software and where things should live, you wind up, I, f I see a lot of people online fighting about fat models versus fat controllers. And I think like this is a rail specific kind of generate, you know, the seed of this thought was born out of rails, but I think this applies to other frameworks as well. Um, it, it, it really is easy to go fat models or fat controllers. And I think the consensus there at the beginning was you go fat models. Um, you want your controllers nice and thin and light, which, which makes sense. Um, but very quickly, like it becomes obvious that that's not the right answer either. You want to put all of your business logic out in lib, right? In, in your mm -hmm. own class, in your own namespace, mm -hmm. uh, not namespace. That's uh, 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 module, um, you know, design your own modules in lib and your own classes and then pull in your models for state and leave the models to do state stuff. And so, um, there was some, and I'll, I might be able to link it somewhere in the show notes if, if I can dig it back up. Um, but this idea that the guy's argument and, and, you know, this is kind of like tribal knowledge within rails, but I, I hadn't heard anybody. I hadn't seen anybody that I remember come out and say it just like succinctly before, which is Rails is just a delivery mechanism. It doesn't actually matter. Like build your application as your application under lib in your own module and then use Rails to deliver it. And like that that mind shift, I think, would have helped me several years ago on, on some of the Rails projects that I have collecting dust in my home folder. Uh, that that would have been nice. That would have been nice to do uh, before. I remember there were a bunch of Rails gems that, tried to solve this problem in different ways. Um, decorators, um, mm -hmm. or what they usually called on the view side, but they yeah. have, you know, it's a similar, 
you can decorate controllers, you can decorate, you know, they were using the same concept, you know, to solve for fat models versus fat controllers. I I think the decorators, wasn't that more like, wasn't that more an alternative to like view models? It was, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like it was, I mean, decorators are a view model-ish. It's it's a way to abstract, which I always thought was overkill. I, I I really don't see the need. What view models? Yeah, I I, I mean your yeah. your application has to have a lot of very heavy and yet at the same time very pervasive but nuanced reusability reused components at the display level to to justify a lot of that stuff. The most I've ever gone is. Uh, some some wrapper functions for forms being created and form validations and reporting back errors because those were obviously very very common workflows. I I always thought views they stand on their own pretty well. I I didn't I never had a problem of fat views or complicated views. I had fat controllers. I've had fat models, but not fat views. No. That was never a thing in my experience. I, I feel like that problem's overplayed. But maybe it's just because of the kind of work that I've done. I don't know. I don't know. I think view models can be helpful. Um, I'm not I saying think, they can't I think they be. become more, I think they become, they, they're less than they used to be though, right? When we were talking about like server side monoliths without modern frameworks, view models served a very distinct purpose. They exist for a reason. I think that was a very good reason. And they were helpful to abstract some specific logic that would otherwise cause web soup. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you've got to do a bunch of metadata generation in order to display some content, where do you put that logic, right? You don't want to cloud up your models with it. You don't, you know, and, and so the view model pattern I think is good, um, particularly again in that server side rendered monolith context, like a service oriented architecture. View models I think can work great. As soon as you make the shift though to everything's on the wire, like an API and an SPA, view models disappear because all of your all of your view modeling just happens in your uh, your browser side controllers. Yeah. But if you're and going so like a lot of that, I think just disappears or components, if you're using, you know, whatever there's, there are ways to deal with it. You kind of push that to the front end and your and front end handles it in a way that the, the concept of a view model doesn't, isn't necessary. It's also almost obviated as a concept in that, in that world. Now I'm not doing, I'm not doing it in API and SPI. I'm doing a server rendered monolith. I'm going to use the turbo. Oh, you're um, going the, you're going hot wire. You're going to do the hot wire. Yeah. Thing, I'm going to yeah. use uh, with one turbo and uh strata. Stimulus. Stimulus. Strata's, the, uh, Strata's gonna, this other layer for, um, I think it's mobile. They have, they said it's, they said they're going to release it in 2022, but I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. No. Here we are. Wobble. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. So I think, I think I'm going to use that and I'm, and, and if I, if I don't have the patience to get that working, it's, oh, it's going to be a server rendered page. Oh no. Horrors. <laughs> but the, the web, the web application, the web pages of of this project are almost nothing. It's it's so minimal. The the value in it is not in the interface at all. I, you actually don't want people in the interface, right? Like right. go set something up and then use the dang thing. That's the that's the idea with this. So um, there's not going to be a whole lot of it. But you know, you say that, and then I think, okay, well, this is something that I could productize. I think people would pay for it as a service. So now I've got to have account creation and profile management and payments and, and payment support and all really of the things that go away. Yep. And then you say, oh yeah, just like the software, right? Just like, just like, and this is kind of where I'm going back full circle, just like getting started from Rails new, 
seven and a half out of my eight hours has been meta and yak shaving. And I've spent about 30 minutes on actual business logic and, and the associated test suite. That is always, and that's kind of why I wanted to, to go into this because like that is always true. Everybody says that the account management or the support portal or the payment management or the, the sign-up flow or the homepage or the, the tests or setting up the models or the, the data schema, the, all of this, oh, this is all yak shaving and everybody wants to do the business logic because like that's the fun stuff to do. Mm-hmm. And everybody looks at all the other stuff as as the act shaving. And like, I guess, I guess my my bit of wisdom for today is to impart that the, the this job being a software engineer, like this job is yak shaving. It's mm-hmm. it's almost nothing but the, the majority of your day will be doing stuff that, from a feels standpoint, you think is yak shaving. It's beneath you. This is boring. I've done this before. This is not really what I want to do. Like. But if you can make the mind shift, if you can just understand that that is 90% of the job, just calling it what it is and then applying the same energy and discipline and thought to all of the yak shaving that you do to the core business logic is a, is a game changer because mm-hmm. your, your like quality of life as a developer, your, your job satisfaction, like that's a quantum leap in my, I don't know if you, I don't know if you agree with any of that, but that's kind of my um, like it's, it's almost all yak shaving. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're, uh, yeah. I mean, the, you know, the interesting stuff comes in these little spurts where you're trying to solve mm-hmm. interesting, original business logic problems. Uh, and sometimes depending on the business problem that you're trying to solve, it can get pretty complicated pretty quickly. Yeah. You yeah. know, I did, you, we did some really interesting stuff in, in healthcare uh, specifically around Medicare processes. And that sounds super duper boring and it is, but the code that we had to write to get all these rules that they're following and to make it all work and make it all work in an automated fashion was super interesting problems to solve in terms of logic mm-hmm. flows and conditionals. And yeah. it was, it was really neat. Well, it's, and it's not just that it's the configuration because that stuff changes on an annual uh-huh. basis and your and so software you to has to be able to yeah, exactly right. Mm-hmm. I was thinking the same thing last year. Uh, you know, what is it? Uh, into its product, I forget what it's called. Uh, for for uh, TurboTax, right? TurboTax. Um, if you use TurboTax, that's the same thing, right? They they have they have to engineer their software because they know the rules are going to change every year. The workflows are going to change. Ninety percent of it'll be the same and reusable, but a lot of core stuff and a lot of fluff is going to change enough that you've got to engineer your system to handle that annual change cycle, and so. How you layer and encapsulate and reuse and inherit like that's I remember that project that was that was actually I mean I think you did um, I think you were fingers on keys more than I was for that one but it was fun it was a lot of fun it was it was a lot of yeah. fun we were doing some really neat abstractions and uh, some some cool dynamicism some cool reflection going on in there and then we had to take care of um, you know conditionals as the as the information flowed through the uh, Mm -hmm. through the process and then we had annual considerations and so we actually had to version annual version some of the rules and so depending on what year the case was in the rules were different like it was really really neat now but that is i agree that is the outlier i think the and it took us it took us a year to build that behemoth and how much of the time did we spend doing that uh, right yeah, versus I, standing it up getting the ui working right. finding out the fret like all of that other stuff 
because um, you, you're right, the interesting work, if we want to call it that, and I don't agree that we should call it that because my point is exactly that you should stop thinking that way, but mm-hmm. that interesting work, the stuff that you kind of think you want to do that tickles you um, is like a fraction. And it's not, you're not the problem. Your job is not the problem. That's the environment. And I think mm-hmm. I was talking to somebody the other day and talking about how, and we've we've talked about this before, how woefully uh, software engineering programs like at the, at the undergraduate level fail pe- to prepare people for industry. Yeah. Because I've, it's, I, I count on one hand, the number of people who had a course where they, they learned about source control. Right. And that is like yeah. the key, the baseline like the expectation. Number one thing, like every, every single, <laughs> if I was building curriculum for programmers for tomorrow class, the the entry level class day one is source control. That is the first thing you learn, and it, it's it is so. <laughs> and the, yeah, and they don't do it. Ed, editors, <laughs> right? The difference the difference between uh like a like a text editor and an IDE mm-hmm. version control and the the two kind of coarse grain types of version control that you might run across. Um, high level maybe some methodologies, although I don't really. Nah, you can take it or leave it. But I can see that fitting into that overall course. Um, like those basic things that just people don't got them. <laughs> well, <laughs> just don't guys. Understanding that, the, I mean, you, you talk about uh, basic principles and understand. How, how about the fact that uh, technical developments follow the business, not the other way around? You know, you so, so many engineers get hung up on their own on their own shiny, on their own awesomeness. And they end up living in this little bubble outside of, you know, we've, we've all seen that engineer. We've been that, that engineer ourselves where you're working on this thing, but then the business goes, why are you wait, quote unquote, wasting your time with this when it has nothing to do with the business. And I mean, that's a real, that's a real problem that, you know, I think we need to, to solve early on. So. Yeah, that's nice, but we just sold this other thing, so go build that. Exactly. Right? Yeah, exactly. But the, I mean, the okay. Let's take. I mean, let's kick it up a step. Said another way, the simple understanding that y- the simple understanding that your paycheck comes from somebody making money on the stuff that you build, and there has to be a connection between the two. Uh huh. Right. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so I don't, you know, uh, look at uh, incident management, like triage, right? And now that's, I know that's, oh, that's an IT thing, but except it's really not. It's it's really just a professional technology thing, no matter what you do. Understanding that there's a difference between a bug and a feature and and mm-hmm. how to think about the two different categories of problem, of, of report and, and why, you know, all of that kind of stuff. We just, uh, I don't, I don't, is there like, what is the what what is the disk? How do we? I mean, software. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a new industry to some degree, but uh, you know, we've been doing this for half a century now. Like, where's the disconnect? Where's the disconnect between the business and the technical? Is that what you mean? Like, why do these like why do these academic programs not? Why, oh, because why they're they, academic. Have... It's because it's academia. It's classic ivory tower type of uh, type of thinking. It's the same reason that uh, you know your your average. MD looks down upon your, your average PhD, even, even if it's in a related medical field, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's applied knowledge versus uh, theoretical knowledge. That's, that's why. Yeah. And not enough, 
you, you're not seeing enough mix. You're, you're not seeing enough uh, flow backwards from the business back into education, partially because there's it's not lucrative enough. There's not as much money in it. And so, you know, people learn all these lessons. There's all this knowledge sitting out there, but none of those people are in universities. And that's not to, you know, that's not to ding educators. It's just, it's just the natural course of, of, you know, where the, the, the human knowledge, the human capital is, is going, it's flowing out, it's going into business, it's learning things, it's being successful, and then taking that into more businesses for more success. I mean, look at you and me, you and I, you know, we have this whole show. We've talked about a whole bunch of stuff. I think we've learned a thing or two over the years. Neither one of us is a college professor. Neither one of us has any interest in being a college professor. And the irony is, the irony is neither one of us would even be considered for, for being a college professor because we don't have the, the proper bona fides, uh, you know, yeah. according to that world. I don't have so a research actually, degree. Yeah. So it's actually a double, it's actually a double layered problem because you have people who are like, well, I'm not really interested in that because I can't make money. And then they're, and then the education system is going great. Cause we don't want you here. <laughs> I mean, the, this well, is a lot of the better schools, a lot of the better schools will take, uh, will take ad- adjunct professors from, right. From it's, it, right. But you're, you're, you're a low, but it's, you're a plea. Yeah, you are, it's you limited in scope. You're told what to do. Uh-huh. You're spoon fit. Yeah, and so I don't know what the value really is in that. Exactly. My wife is, um, so my wife is a veterinarian and she loves the education and she has, she's gone back into it. So she is actually, it's, she has actually done exactly what we're talking about here. She wanted to get into education for a whole host of reasons. And uh, she did the adjunct faculty thing and got herself in and she has sort of earned her bona fides. And now she's moved into a, a progressively higher level position. Um, uh, and she has, um, we, we have talked about this at length before about how, when she goes, it, I mean, it, it, it comes up in practical ways, really simple things where the, um, the, the there was a, the, the, the school had to downside. There were budget, budget cuts, right? Okay, so everyone's, you know, taking a haircut on services and how much they've got and how many people are in their classes and things like that. Now, to you and me and my wife, who have all done private business practice, this is part of the game. This is part of what happens. Sometimes you don't have the money, and so you have to make cuts. And yeah, it stinks, but you deal with it. You adapt and you move on. But that's not what these educators do because it's a completely different world. And so she had this odd, she was in this odd position of being in these, in these faculty meetings where the budget cuts were happening. And some of these faculty were like losing their minds over it. And she's sitting there going, what, 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 why are you this? Yes, it's not good, but come on, man, let's, let's just go. We can, yeah. we can deal with it. And so that, that it's just a completely different mind space that they, that they occupy. And part of it is because it's, a completely different world. Those, you know, that that money is usually government backed in some way, shape, matter, or form. You have the tuitions. It's very, very stable, very, you know, predictable. It doesn't have the volatility. You also don't have a lot of control because, you know, these are larger institutions and you're just there teaching. It's it's part of a much, much larger machine. You know, business tends to be more dynamic. And when something doesn't work, you don't get as much leeway. You know, there's no I don't know about you. I haven't seen a job with tenure yet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, and it's it's easy to paint with a broad brush. I think I think a lot of it it's it's just incentives, right? Where's yeah. where's the meaningful incentive for an academic program uh which which 
kind of begins to exist for its own sake, right? Where does where does an academic have incentive to make their curriculum more practical? Because mm-hmm. um, the school I went to, I went to the 13th grade, right? And it's a garbage school, that's fine. Uh, but the program I went to was actually pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, all things considered, it was a good blend of, of computer science theory. Um, and we did have some professors that were um, you know, had had spent time in industry, um, some good. some more, some none at all, mm-hmm. uh, some less. But um, you know, there was a there was actually a, a decent blend of of theory and practice. You know, the the phrase, oh, you know, on the job you will blank, like that was something that you heard from time. And then there were the classes that were like more theory. You know, your mm-hmm. algorithms and data structures and garbage like that. Um, and so I think there was a, I think there was some individual awareness of like what we're here to do and and why everyone's here, and what the ultimate goals are. And I just don't think there's any incentive to promote that more broadly. Yeah, I mean, right? the, the, I mean, no, nobody's getting nobody's getting measured on how well their graduates mm-hmm. feel like they're prepared for their job on a two-year post-grad survey. Like that's not happening. And so- Right, there's no incentives. And once they're out the door, once you've graduated, it's, you know, all right, you're you're off the conveyor belt now. I'm going to go and grab the fresh batch and I'm going to teach them whatever, you know, I can or, you know, what they tell me to. Yeah. Yeah, the incentive structure is all- And then we can complain about the opposite, right? Well, that's where all the the boot camps come in, you know, and then we've got our whole rant about why those are, Mm. yeah, largely not so awesome. (laughs) It's yeah, like, I mean, I mean that's because uh, now are, we teach you how to t- we teach you how to t- type a bunch of stuff that is specific to one particular version of one particular framework, uh, and then you don't understand why you're typing it or what it's doing under the hood, and then we're going to release you out into industry to mm-hmm. to bug a bunch of new software. Um, so I don't know. I could I could disagree with myself for quite a while. On yeah, that but I, I think the, the key takeaway is that, I mean, these systems are broken. They're not going to be fixed. And the ones that are most successful, like so many other uh, other professions, are the ones that have uh, the people that show initiative and self-startedness, the ones who are going to go and seek out the new information and teach themselves and spend extra time after hours, spend time on their weekends, you know. Yeah. I, I, I'm, tr- you know, this show is an effort on my part, at least to, to do a little practice what you preach in that sense, because I, you know, this is not work time for me and I have mm-hmm. to spend time every weekend going through and getting the show cleaned up and push it out. And I write blog posts again. That's not, nobody's comping me for that. That's just my own stuff. I just pushed out something new and I'm getting to a point now where I'm writing a lot in, um, uh, it's more, th- it's more theory. It's more, it's more work engineer, work theory stuff. It takes a ton of time to to put all that together and I'm using graphics and so I'm building stuff, which means I'm using tools to build the graphics, which costs money. Like all these extra things that, you know, n- nobody told me to do it. Nobody suggested it. I-, I had to go and find it and figure it out. And I think that's how I've done my whole career. And I think that's a huge, huge, huge part of what has made me successful. I think it's a huge part of what's made you successful. And really anyone, anyone who has been successful has some of that. You have to, if you don't, you're, you know, you're only taking what's handed to you and that's only going to get you so far. You've, you've got to, you've got to push beyond that. Um, and schools are, they open the door, whether it's, I think there's counterexamples to that. No, I've worked with, I've worked with folks over the years that were nine to five, you know, they were not lifestyle nerds. 
and were phenomenal, like like best in class. Um, and now I think I think in all of those cases to to kind of support your point, I believe in all of those cases those individuals had prior experience consulting. So I think that gets to the same thing you're talking about. Okay, um, so let me let me you know, clarify maybe not letter. Maybe, but okay. So let me let me further clarify then, because it's not about extra hours. Well, it is. Um, it's it's about going beyond the whatever explicit definition of your nine to five is. Okay, now whether you do that during your nine to five or you do it after hours is kind of a question of you know the job and the amount of flexibility and control you have over your day. But the point is, the ones who are most successful go above and beyond. Define above and beyond however it needs to be defined for the situation, but it's, you know, you are doing more, which, you know, gets you ahead, which gets you, you know, gets you out there faster. You know, the, you know, some of the most talented engineers, here's a, here's like a contrived example for the, you know, the notion of a full stack engineer is somebody who can develop on the front end. They do JavaScript and CSS and HTML, and they can do single page app stuff and all that stuff. And they can do the back end. They can do server side uh, languages. They can do maybe some, um, maybe even some lightweight server configuration. They understand SQL and data structures and things like that. That is like, that's a multifaceted skill set. You're, you know, those jobs don't come along often. You tend to have to go and find them and you have to teach that. You have to learn that knowledge yourself. Again, however you have to do that is, you know, is kind of irrelevant. Um, it's, it's about the, it's about the more, whatever it is now, whether it's inside nine to five or not is, is irrelevant. So the people who, you know, that you're talking about, okay. Yeah. They, they probably did it inside their job and you talked about consulting. Yeah. Well, that's going to expose you to a lot more stuff and you're going to have to learn a lot of new things that you're unfamiliar with getting comfortable in that unfamiliar unknown territory, I think is the key regardless of when. Uh, yeah. I don't know if I agree with all of that necessarily. Okay. Well, hold on. Let me, let me find the. Where's the bell? Well, do we? Uh, there you go. Yeah, I don't know if we have to fight about it. Um, I mean, I'm how well, I already rang the bell. Fight you. you can't. I can't I'm take always, the bell. Back. You can't unring the I bell. Can't unring that's, the bell. That's right. That that saying comes from somewhere. Yeah, I mean, that's that's just philosophy. I don't know. It it just becomes an attitude thing. It's 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 curiosity and it's pride in a job well done. And I don't think mm-hmm. you have to do extra because you're you're bumping up awfully close against like hustle culture and i'm that's not doesn't mm. ring any that doesn't no that's i, I like your for, curiosity I, I like can get oh behind do, the curiosity do extra definition. well no i shouldn't have to do extra i get paid to do a job i'm gonna do the job i it's this always do extra because yeah, then you gotta define hell. it you gotta quantify it you give people excuses you give in a lot of cases it's hard to send that message in a formal environment without uh without being pointy haired boss i it's i don't yeah so but, i think oh, for me it's just are you are you curious and do you have your peripheral vision up? Like, are you are you looking for ways where you're trying to make sure? Because you, you got to look ahead. You got to look at what's in front of you. You know, everybody has a boss. Their boss puts things in front of them, and you've got to pay attention to that. Like, the successful people are are curious, and that's just an attribute. Um, but I think it 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 also you can think of that as a behavior to strive towards. Right? Asking mm-hmm. curiosity can be an action word, um, and I think it should be. That's that's not a bad attitude to have. Um, but then the peripheral vision, the idea that, yeah, my boss puts stuff in front of me, I'm going to get it done. But I also have an awareness of what is my what is my sphere of influence 
and what are the people around me doing and trying to make sure that there aren't gaps, mm-hmm. right? And I and that to me, that's what a successful employee looks like. Not necessarily um, this notion of doing extra. Maybe maybe I'm misrepresenting your point. Yeah, I, I don't know. I can definitely get behind the, the curiosity is a good way to describe it. Um, it, it. It, but I think you're butting up against the you know how, how you move ahead too because you don't get hired to a new position. You don't get promoted to a new position and then start doing that job. You do that job or in in some way you demonstrate affinity and capability for the new job and then you get promoted into it because others have seen, okay, this person is capable of doing this job and now I'm going to give it to them. It's very hard for you to get promoted just doing like what if you're if you're a great widget maker and you're really good mm-hmm. at building building widgets. Well, great. You're, I, I will leave you and you will be a you know dutiful widget maker until the end of time. I, I, I need to see something more to suggest that you should be more than a widget maker. And so while I, I, I agree with you, like hustle culture as a thing, I don't like it. You know, and, and I know what I said very much sounded like that. And so I'm, I'm going to call it like I, I don't like that as a as a concept, but. To, to move into other position, you know, don't, don't mm, act. No, no, that bell was absolutely right. That's, that's not, I, I it's not enough for, I'm just saying, let me, let me put it this way okay. for me personally, right. my opinion, right. My opinion is that I don't feel comfortable simply leaving it as hustle culture. Isn't great. I think it is objectively bad. I think okay. it, it is, it is actively detrimental to people full stop. I don't agree with that. Okay. And also, hang on. And also, I think where we may be able to connect on this is when you say, I need to see more, there needs to be more. My initial interpretation is that more represented sort of like additional incremental active behavior on top of what the job describes in the form of like working longer hours than requested or uh, performing. uh, let, Let me not go there like working more, doing doing more in terms of time and, and output. What I'm thinking when I hear that, I say, yes, it is, if you're going to get promoted I, as, as your boss, I do need to see more. Uh, for me, what that more means is this peripheral vision, right? I don't, mm-hmm. I don't need somebody to work extra or learn on their downtime. That, that's, that's completely immaterial to me. I think the important thing is that they behave like somebody who is curious and has that peripheral vision and ask the questions to make sure we don't have gaps. But that's, that doesn't require working more than 40 hours. So are you saying like it, like where are we connected on that or. All right. Uh, Phrasing. All right. So I want to actually definition. I think we're just, we're def, we're defining more wildly. Well, yeah, I'm actually going to, but I don't know that it's incompatible. Yeah. And I I, I I don't want to get into Bill Clinton style definitions of is and more and things like that. Let's, let's back it up a little bit there. You know, I just realized that probably half of our audience has no freaking clue what that reference even is. I am so, I'm so old. It's ridiculous. Yeah. We're getting there, man. I know. So let's back up. Definition used to hustle culture. Okay. Let's, let's start there. Let's define our terms. So when you say hustle culture, talk to me about what, what is that? What do you, what, what is that to you? So to me, it's a, it's a degenerate ideology okay. where if 
you are not working five jobs, have three new businesses started, and are doing something supplementary to that to make an extra buck, you're lazy. Okay. Like that's that's the degenerate interpretation of hustle culture. If you're not working three jobs and not getting sleep and not spending time with your family and not taking care of your health, you're lazy. That's okay. to me, that's the I think there are there can be some things to learn. Uh, I think they're more around intentionality and time efficiency. Mm-hmm. And maybe there are some life hacks for actual productivity, but I think if you are intentional, and and you're smart with your time, like that's maybe the good side to the hustle culture because there's some things to learn there. But I think as a as a meme, if I can like sort of caricaturize hustle culture, it's that if you're not working, you know, 167 hours a week, you're lazy. That okay? That's the degenerate version. Is there a non-degenerate version of of hustle culture for you, or is the whole thing just toxic? So I think. Well, but again, that's why I said there there is a side of it. There are things to be learned. Okay. Um, so talked about the side. Talk about that side then. I think I think I think if there's a positive side to it as a whole, I think it's probably around having other people that having other people that want to get more out of life in a certain way, and having support for that. Right. So, so to normalize people that want to work an extra job to try to, you know, buy another house or whatever they're, you know, it's, it's, whatever it's, a, the, it's a finish. Whatever the, and this is where it gets, whatever yeah, the and this is where is. it gets because, because the get ahead, it always becomes this, this like ladder climby, rat racy, chase a buck thing. And that's mm. where I kind of like my own personality. I'm like, ew, that's not. Um, now, if, if, if the goal is to, you know, secure, uh, financial independence for your family, like there are really good reasons why you would want to embark on something like that's not, that's not it at all. Mm -hmm. Um, but if the idea is again, you know, work an extra 30 hours a week so I can always have the newest iPhone when that, you know, now I think anyway, so what is the good side of this? So I think, I think normalizing and, and defining sort of a support culture for, people that want to go after it. They want to start a side hustle. They want to become an entrepreneur. They want to get out of sort of, uh, you know, whatever day-to-day grind they have. They want to do something different, invent something, produce something, enhance society in some way. We have a culture, like there's 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 space for that. Um, and there are things you can learn from it. And again, I think the more important ones are around uh, being intentional and effective with time. So that means like, thinking about where you're spending your time and being able to prioritize and, and, you know, these, these, that's, that's kind of where I see the good side. Okay. So what I'm hearing you say is that, you know, degenerate hustle culture is, you know, overworking yourself to death, which yeah, you and I would agree on that. I I don't want to do that. Neither do you. Mm -hmm. Uh, The good hustle culture is, it sounds like time management with life balance in the mix. That's, that's kind of what I'm taking away from what you're saying. Like if I, if yeah, I'm not I working mean, myself to death and I'm still, and, and I am, my life is fulfilling. My work is fulfilling. My, my life is, is healthy. I'm, you know, I'm emotionally healthy. You know, my mental well-being is, is there and I'm pushing myself to advance, which also can be fulfilling mm-hmm. and healthy too. And I'm not killing myself in the process. Then that's good hustle to you. 
I would think so. Yeah, I okay. would generally, I would all generally right. agree to that. I think so. So you're all right. So you're making a case for not overworking and making sure that you stop and smell the roses along the way. And well, not, again, it's not just it's not just not overworking. It's also kind of the work in the shadow of that. No, no, in the shadow of all of that is if you don't work three jobs, you're lazy. Well, yeah, right. We already agree that that's the like if like if you crap. don't want this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But that's yeah. But that's also I mean, I'm, I'm, my, my philosophy hat is getting on is, is getting pretty tight around my head here. But um, you you you're what you're describing there. You're describing an internality versus an externality because you you're describing so degenerate. The, the way you describe the degenerate style is how is what others are saying about you or what you're saying about others. If you don't work three jobs, then you're not, you know, you're not actually pushing and succeeding versus, you know, what I do for myself and it's, you know, it works for me and to hell with what anyone else thinks. No, I know it's an internal dialogue thing as well, because I've seen I've seen people that they themselves like they don't they feel bad about themselves if they're not working 90 hours. That becomes part of the internal dialogue is super corrosive. All right. Yeah. You were saying you and and the way that you were. Yeah, I didn't. Maybe I didn't. It's okay. It's all right. I just want to make sure this isn't this is an audio podcast dialogue. It should not be an expectation that I communicate effectively. (laughs) I'm just like point blank. (laughs) He's two for two, folks. He's two for two. (laughs) I can agree with you on, I think, everything that you said about hustle culture, both the good side and the bad. I Maybe, and I'm not sure what I'm describing is or is not hustle culture, although you're, you seem to be de- declaring it as such. Um, so I, I just, my, my key takeaway is even if you don't want to do this, this extra work, there, there, there is a, you, you described it as curiosity. I was describing it as a, just a general more of something you you don't advance yourself professionally without that something extra that curiosity that awareness that that little bit of extra effort that you you just don't um, well again I, and i want to be careful i think i think you're right okay and i want to clarify that that's where you lose me that little extra effort so you if think you can get a little extra effort little extra effort you think that's possible if hang on hang, let me let me get through this if 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 you're saying that that little extra effort translates to more time worked i disagree oh it doesn't have to if what if what you're saying is that little extra effort is constantly reevaluating why you're doing what you're currently doing and suggesting when appropriate that, hey, there's a better use of this time or that resource or this money or whatever. And again, it, it speaks to that peripheral vision, right? In doing that in order that you solve problems, reduce cost or increase profit, that can fit into a healthy, you know, 35 to 45 hour week. I'm with you 100%. If okay. your little extra effort means additional hours by definition, that's where you'll lose. Right. Okay. So I am not suggesting additional hours by definition. I'm saying that that is, that is a possibility on the table and will sometimes be a, be the only like course of action that you have. Like you're working on this side project right now. Okay. That is not your day job. The only way that's getting done is for you to put that time in after Mm -hmm. hours, full stop. There is no other course of action here. So, yeah. so that is the extra 
and and there is no way around that. But uh, what you're describing would be something like I'm going to put it a different way because I, I I think I agree. If you have a, a job and things are getting done a certain way, and you've identified some sort of inefficiency in that process, in the way the company's working, some missed opportunity or something like that. You take it upon yourself to, or if it's big enough, you get permission from the boss, whatever, you go and pursue the improved route. Yeah. So instead of doing the old busted, which was your job, which is part of your job, you're saying, okay, I'm going to go try this new thing, the new hotness, which is going to improve make all sorts of improvements. My nine to five hasn't changed. Like the, the amount of time hasn't changed, but what I am doing inside that time has changed. This is classic definition of work, smarter, not harder. And yeah. I would count this as the extra. I would count this as the, as the curiosity. Yeah. It's not purely it's- over time, but there are situations like the one you're in, you're never going to get away from it. I think you don't, let me, and maybe I can say it this way. We can further clarify Without, without the curiosity and the peripheral vision, mm-hmm. right? Without that kind of effort, I don't think you go you go very far. True. Yes. Okay. You at least have to have your there, head. I believe, and and I don't, you know, I don't like it to say this, but I I think everybody could probably agree for the most part that there also exists a positive correlation between extra time worked and opportunity for advancement. Maybe that's not fair because not everybody has uh, off time, single parents with kids. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why you couldn't work more if you wanted to, but it's fair to say that that there's probably a positive correlation there. Mm -hmm. And so both is maybe a good formula if that's what you want, if you really want to, if you really want to advance. Um, At least you don't get there. Yeah. So I think, I think if you define effort as intentionality and curiosity, I think that's required. If you define effort as extra time, that certainly helps. It's, I would say, I would say the. But if I see somebody that's just doing dumb for twelve hours a day instead of eight, that doesn't win. That doesn't. No, 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 no. The curiosity is required always. Yeah. The extra yeah. time is required sometimes. Yeah. And if you're, that's that's fair to say. And hold on. And if you take take uh, work smarter, not harder. If you take that full tilt, you'll you will always be pushing to do mm-hmm. less and less of that extra time and just mm-hmm. do more and more with the time that you have and work smarter in it and become, you know, better and faster, more efficient with, yeah. with the time that you've got. So it, you, I will tell you, I am, I am so much more effective at work than I was 10 years ago. Yeah. And I'll tell you why, I because agree. I have so much more to do. I would have gotten fired ages ago if, and, and time management, by the way, I'll just say like out loud on the record here, I have abysmal time. Like naturally I am an abysmal, a- abysmal at time as, management. as the guy it who is, waits for your show notes. I can corroborate this. This is in fact, there you go. You See? Atrocious See? There you go. Management. Yes, this is, this is absolutely uh, a true go ahead, statement. Take yourself some internet points for that. Yeah, I, go I am going to take some internet Rack points. Rack them up. Yeah, that's, that's, All right. that is an absolute true statement. So go on. You got one. Okay, go ahead. So, Keep going. So, so like one of my weakest, one of my biggest character flaws, like time management, I just don't have the skill set naturally. I have been learning it for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And having more to do has, f- because, because what is time management but the focus? 
Mm-hmm. And, and the more you have to do, the more you have to focus or it's all going to blow up in your face. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's where that, like, if you want something done, ask a busy person. I, okay, that's not like mm. in concrete, but maybe there's a yeah, rule of thumb. Again, a, there's maybe a there's a positive there. correlation, there's a right? There's something there. there. Yes, there's a nugget um, in there. But yeah, that's that's absolutely forced me. And I struggle with this too. Like I, I struggle to not work more than, yeah probably 10 hours a day, mm-hmm. right? And I think I think I could probably get that down to eight. I could probably work a straight 40 if I was really dedicated to that being my only mission. And if I was maybe a little naturally better at time management right out the gate, I, I might be able to get there. Would that, if I had been doing that the last 10 years, would that have limited my efficacy, my, you know, whatever. I, I don't know. Because I, I, I think you're right. You're right to say that the curiosity and intentionality is always required and the time is sometimes required. I phrased it as that can always help. I think you're right, though. I think we got to admit out loud that like there are some companies where if you don't put in the extra time, you're not going to get the well, opportunity. It's not. Like, it's, that's the unfortunate well, truth. Sometimes hold, it is required. Well, hold on a second. Okay, so you just dipped into into ugly territory because a company that requires overtime for overtime. I'm all about ugly. You know, we do this over video. <laughs> I'm all about ugly. <laughs> He's three for three. Uh a company that requires overtime for overtime's sake, that is that's just toxic stuff. So full stop, that's just gross. I I yeah. that, I I I, I don't want to use that in this in this argument, and I, I want to vouch against that. Um, uh, when I teams that I manage, I am always telling them because overwork tends, to, you know, especially for people in this in this field, because you know, at this point, I, I very rarely deal with anyone who is just out of college. So I I I only occasionally deal with the um, with the opposite problem, people not putting in enough time. Most mm-hmm. of the people that I am hiring because they're already fairly successful in what they're doing, they have the opposite problem. They put in too much time. Yeah. And I am always telling them, your goal is 40, not 45, not 50, 40. Oh. You should always be shooting for 40. The reason I want you only doing 40 is because I want you doing the same caliber 40 every single week. And, if and you, I want you doing 43 years from now. I don't want you doing three, 80 for six months and then quitting. And then quitting. Exactly. I want you, I want you here three years from now, six years from now. I want you happy. I want you yeah. to continue to pump out amazing stuff for us because that makes you happy and successful. That makes the company more successful. And yeah. a lot that the companies that do overtime for overtime's sake, this is short-sighted. They look at people as cogs that can be replaced. Mm-hmm. That I I mean, having done my own hiring now, I don't understand this thought process. Hiring is a pain in the ass. If I don't, oh, have like to if this hire if this people, person doesn't work out, I'll just replace them. Like yes, that whole yeah, that trope. whole thought process. I don't, oh I don't know what I don't know what ma- I don't know any managers. They haven't that hired. Way. I don't know Anyone how they who do. thinks that way has not done hiring. I, hands oh on. yeah, it's no easy. Way. Just hire it's someone so else. Oh, Are yeah. you kidding me? That is the hardest thing I could possibly be asked to do. Is, is even when I even when I want to do it, even when I'm excited, I have this new opportunity. I get to bring in some new people. Even when I'm excited yeah. about that, the the hiring process is such a chore. It's and then you so realize that work. you actually have to go through the hiring and onboarding process. And it's like the it's like the cartoon where the top of like the like the anime style where the, the top of the screen goes dark and the little white clouds over the eye. Like yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. just like, like that. oh, but I had oh hey, I can finally hire. I got budget. Of, Oh, I have to hire. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So it's just, it, 
it's such a horrible pain in the butt. So why would you do, I mean, you would be doing. Or the other one. Or the other one, you What's heard this, we could just, can we just take a total left turn here? The other one where, where somebody will say, oh yeah, they just want to get rid of the people that make a lot so they can backfill them with cheaper people to save money. I've seen, well, I mean, I have <laughs> seen, even, I mean, yeah, I some people have, have done, seen this. Yes, I have, you and I have both seen this hands on. They have tried to do this. They, and again, also, like, no, what? I've seen, I've seen, I don't, I don't know that I've ever seen that like, like on its face. I have certainly seen, hey, we lost somebody for whatever reason, and we're going to replace them at a lower level. Like, because, yeah, there's money to be to be called back. I've seen that happen. Well, there's I mean, that's um, that's an and I don't think that's necessarily evil. That's just that's just opportunistic. But that's management, you know, if you're yeah, you're. I don't know that I've I don't know that I've ever overtly seen somebody like in their mind say, I'm going to fire this person because they make too much money. And I'm going to replace them with somebody more. Junior. I have seen I have seen a um, I have seen a client of a client. Put out communication to their organization that. Uh, w- upon reading it reads like. Oh, maybe this was only intended for management, but you know, but accidentally goes out to the entire organization and become. Mm-hmm. And the reason they did it was explicitly to scare away the higher end employees, the longer lived employees, into just mm-hmm. leaving because then they don't have to do layoffs, so they don't actually have to report layoffs. One, they don't have mm-hmm. to pay uh, uh, severance packages. And three, they get, if they, if whoever they do replace, they can then turn around and bring in you yeah. know, cheaper people. So I have seen it and it's that's really, super, that's, it's super slimy gross. isn't even the right word oh, for it. Oh, it's so gross. And the thing is uh, that situation played out. It didn't help them at all. No, it, it put no. them in a worse position because now there, you have did to you come hear there was a company from that. There was a company who, at some point in history, some point okay. in recorded history, um, decided, you know what, like we've got a spending problem and we have lots of high paid management and like we have to claw this money. But like they were in that thought process, like we've got to replace these people with cheaper people. <laughs> and so what they did, round one, they said, okay, these people have been with us for a while. That's part of why they're making so much money. We're going to go and... um we're going to go and offer like early retirement packages. So we're going to golden parachute. We're going to make this offer. Anybody that wants to take advantage, here's Not your package. Not necessarily a bad right? thing. Not necessarily and, a bad thing. And and because they needed to claw back the budget for this. And I think it was partial downsizing and then partial like replacing with junior. But they were upfront about it. They're like, this is a budget thing. Here's a package. If anybody wants to take advantage, we love you and we'll try to take care of you on the way out. But, you know, this is so that we don't have to make a tougher decision later. Not many people really uh, took advantage. So they actually came back with a round two and they they made the incentives greater. But then they they wound up overshooting in that direction. Oh, so no. like way Everybody. more people <laughs> than they actually wanted leveraged the opportunity. And then they were like, holy moly, we have to hire people because we lost too many now. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and and see, this is the problem that you run into. And I thought of it like a, it was like an airline, like oh, we overbooked, you know, yeah. kind of a kind of a thing where they jump straight to fifteen hundred dollars and then the plane leaves half empty. Like that's kind of what happened, right? Um, I I think the I, I think the proper twenty twenty hindsight there. I think the proper approach was to do the round two, but to actually selectively offer it. 
Like go to the people who you you think are the best targets for exit. And instead of yeah. publicly announcing it, saying, hey, we're offering this to you specifically, just you. It's not public. And and see if you can get, you know, you've got to control that kind of thing. But th- also, I think a lot of this stuff, I, I, admittedly, I have not managed a mega, you know, a mega corp. So, you know, mm-hmm. the notion of managing, you know, that kind of scale is, is, is foreign to me. So uh, admittedly, we're at the yeah. limits of my knowledge. But in my experience, staffing issues tend to work themselves out. Like you usually have enough for what you need, especially if you are willing and able to trust the people underneath of you. If your manager tells you you, that they have someone toxic and they need to go, they need to go and you just get rid of them. If the manager tells you this person is awesome and we need to promote them, then you promote them. If the manager Mm -hmm. tells you they need somebody, then generally you need somebody. Now, there's always going to be outliers. There's always going to be exceptions and things like that. But generally speaking, this kind of stuff if you push the authority down and out in the organization, if you give people the agency and responsibility, these, yeah. these kind of, they handle themselves at a smaller scale. And if each one of them is handling, if each of these little pockets is handling themselves roughly, you know, even moderately well, if all, yeah. if, if all of them handle themselves moderately well, then you can handle the outliers. You can absorb that with no problem. I think if you if you have anybody in man and this is like 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 line manager to CEO if you've got somebody in management that is overworked and overstressed I think go like springboarding off of what you just said I think there's probably one of two one or two reasons why first they are not delegating effectively they are not pushing responsibility as far as it needs to go right. and effectively that means what that means is they're micromanaging Right. And or because because you 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 need to delegate and trust, right? So those are the two things that can break. So if you're not delegating effectively, that could mean that you're you're micromanaging, or maybe you're just not delegating the right things, you know. Um, or or the trust is the problem, which means either you don't trust your people or you're trusting them when they have not earned it. Mm-hmm. And so, like either of those two failure modes, and I'll tell you, like lately, last couple of months, I've been feeling i've been hurting (laughs) like i've been i've been hurting um and like now we're saying this all out loud and i'm starting to think like hmm what am i doing wrong yeah now it's like because like we're we're up here and we're and the reason i'm doing this is like we're up here with this is the way it should be and this is how you do things blah 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 and like i'm i'm looking at this and i'm saying you know inwardly like yeah i think this is really good conversation and i don't know if i'm actually practicing 100 percent of what we're preaching here although i agree 100 percent with what we're preaching yeah and, and i i think that's a good that's a good point to call out because i am all, anything that i talk about on the show these are all things that i have either one done myself or two said to someone else inside yeah. the, the organization. Like everything that I have said, none of this is, none of we this have either is learned the lesson or, or in this case, we are still learning. The yeah, lesson. We are not. Yeah. And <laughs> I, I'm not, I am not your, you know, I'm not a, you know, in the bubble educator on this stuff. You know, this is, this is very much coming from this is hard real world fought. stuff. Here. Yeah. This is, this yeah. is all coming from hard fought, hard won uh, experience. And I, and I don't think it should be, um, it's it's not like oh that's great in theory, but in my situation, er, 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 yeah, you're a very special snowflake, just like all the other special snowflakes, and that's not what I am suggesting here um, at all. You know, this is I mean, this is all hard, hard, yeah. serious, practical, hard foot and hard one, just like the NLCS 
champions, Philadelphia Phillies. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I heard. That may- I, I mean, right? Philly Philly roots, I cheer for them. I, I got to admit, I can't remember the last time I watched a baseball game. I can't remember the last time I watched a professional sports game. Like I, I've been you know, getting I in. Watched- we follow... Yeah, I don't I, I don't do a whole lot of that may be the first sports ball reference that we've made on this show. Eighty five episode may be the first time we've it's, called it's something a long, out professional um, sports. Yeah, I, I think shows you. Right. Yeah, it shows you how much we follow. I have I, n- <laughs> not watch. Yeah. Yeah, I'll watch I'll watch the Eagles uh, and I'll watch the Phillies. I don't really follow the leagues too much uh, until postseason if if our teams are in, because to be honest with you, I, I just enjoy the games. I just I enjoy the games. I like watching them. Um but I don't, to be honest with you, like just the time that some, can we just talk about this for a second? The time that people put into following the league and all the other teams and that, like that's your form of entertainment. That's fine. I can, I just, I can't focus on it. I can't get into it. <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, if, if that's your thing, then, then that's your thing. My, um, I was, a, I followed the Eagles pretty, pretty well, right up, uh, up and through their, uh, their Super Bowl win um, mm-hmm. that, oh my gosh, that, that Super Bowl was amazing. Um, chef's kiss man the, the chef's kiss eat it tom brady the, the philly bum. the philly special play is still one of my they did they did you know like the greatest plays of the year espn did yeah. their, their nominations oh, and, oh yeah and no but no, no the philly special wasn't in it and i and that's when i was like this show is crap there's no way you don't nominate that play yeah. are you kidding me um anyway uh i i really lost you know professional sports lost me when they when they stopped focusing so much on the sport and there became so much commentary about the players and extracurricular activities and who's saying what on Twitter and all, you know, the, 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 the political innuendos and things like that. Like that's when I really started to go, you know what? I don't need this. I watch this to just be entertained and watch a good sports game. And you guys are just doing a bunch of extra crap. That is not that. So I'm, I'm out. That's when they, that's yeah, that's part me. of it. That's I, I like. I just like watching the games. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. And by the way, uh, football and baseball. Those are the only two I can even watch on TV. <laughs> like I, I can't. I can't watch hockey on TV. It's. Too, it doesn't. It's basketball. I. It's. I can't do it. In it. Like I can go to a game and enjoy it, but on TV, it's. It's not. Uh, it's not. Anyway, hard fought and hard won. Just like our experience. Go Phils. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is not an academic show. No, no, purely, definitely, 100% not academic. This is all, like, legit stuff that you should think about in your uh, in your day-to-day life, for sure. Um, well, if you, uh, you want to see more practical uh, stuff, you can check it out at refactor.work. We have all of our back catalog there. We've got show notes. We've got useful links. All sorts of good stuff for you over there. Let us know what you think. Feedback at refactor.work. Send us an email. Send us a voice recording. Love to hear from you. Uh, if you want more insights and experience from me, you can check it out at hotcoehls.com. If you want to check out Chris's musings, he's at tonkinson.com. And this has been episode 85 of the Refactor Podcast recorded on October 25th, 2022. Always a pleasure, Chris. Thanks, Frank.